and welcome to the latest mini-episode of the Arnithology Presents Forgotten Films. I am Ben Hyten. What we do on these mini-episodes is talk about more current stuff than the chronological list from 80 to 2010 that Alex and I are working through. Last week we talked about 1986, and while you may not have seen either film that was on that list, and you, if you want to avoid spoilers, skip ahead, there's um, the episode notes have the times that the spoilers start and finish for each film. Skip ahead to the second film that we talk about, because that is honestly one of my favourite films and one of my favourite film discussions that we've done on this season so far. Today, I want to talk to you about some Netflix films that I've watched of late that have been released in the last year. Now, last time I was talking to you about um, some documentaries that I've been catching up on, and there's an interesting one on Netflix called Behind the Curve. It's got a relatively uh, large amount of press in certain circles because it's quite a straightforward documentary about the phenomenon of flat earth believers, flat earthers, and how much their number are growing in recent years. And what I liked about Behind the Curve was that it wasn't just a sideways glance at them. It wasn't just sneering at them and making fun of them. Let me be very clear. You should not believe that the Earth is flat. But equally, one of the important things that this film addresses is why do people on the outskirts of society, people that feel like they're outsiders, tend to lean towards radical belief systems, whether that be the far right, the far left, or... Uh, things like flat earth and um, and it, it takes a very scientific approach to that and there's a very strong current of psychological theory behind it as well they speak to people from caltech they speak to therapists at the same time as interviewing these people who are spokespersons for the flat earth community so it's dealing with why do they believe this way what do they actually believe what's it founded on also, the scientific approach that a lot of flat earthers take, how the uh, the Dunning-Kruger effect fits into it, which is the less you know, the more vehement you are in your beliefs, to put it very crudely. Um, and then also there's a very powerful speech that a guy gives to a group of collected scientists and mathematicians about how do we win these people back? There are some very funny bits in the film, but I didn't feel that it was simply mocking these people for being stupid. It was a, it was quite an insightful documentary, and if you've got an hour and a half or so to spare, I think it's an entertaining watch, and it's also quite a valuable documentary for the times that we live in. So that's behind the curve. I'd probably go about three and a half stars on it. It's nothing mind-blowing, but I, I was entertained and enlightened by it. The other two um, big films, one of them came out very recently, was Triple Frontier. Now, this is the latest film from J.C. Chanda, who I think has made some really good films. A Most Violent Year, All Is Lost, uh, Margin Call, which some people really take against. I love Margin Call. I've watched it many times. So he's a very, very good filmmaker, J.C. Chanda. Very good with actors, good writer too. And he's done Triple Frontier with Ben Affleck, Oscar Isaac, Garrett Hedlund, Pedro Pascal from Narcos and Game of Thrones, and uh, Charlie Hunnam, who my friends will know I am quite a vocal, not a hater, I just don't think he's a very good actor normally, and I wouldn't tend to watch a film simply because he's in it. He's not Robert Pattinson or James Corden levels of annoying for me yet, and to give him his credit, he's not bad in this film at all. Triple Frontier is about a, a bunch of ex-marine types 
who take it upon themselves to do a, a recce and potential job on a drug lord uh, at the triple frontier of three countries in South America. Hence the name. And uh, wouldn't you know it, things don't go entirely as planned. This is a, a violent heist movie set in the jungle and the mountains, largely. There are some fantastic action sequences in this film. Ben Affleck, I think, is really good in it. Oscar Isaac's really good in it. It doesn't quite hold together. It does feel like a Netflix film, and I, I don't really know how to qualify that beyond it makes more sense on my TV than it does in a cinema. I haven't, I still haven't seen Roma, and I, I understand that that is the one that breaks the mould. I loved Beasts and a Nation, though. I thought that was a genuine, pretty much a five-star film, and Triple Frontier doesn't come close to that. I do think it's a solid um, action-adventure film, though, with a really strong cast, and there's a bit more going on underneath the surface as well, because these guys bite off more than they can chew, not in terms of the job itself, but they get greedy, and they discover more money than they thought they, they would, and then are presented with the problem of hiking, <laughs> carrying these sack loads of heavy money, um, and, and that becomes an increasing problem as they are gradually hunted across this landscape. I enjoyed it. I thought it was very good. I wasn't bored. It needed tightening up a little bit. I feel like, not that the editing was sloppy, but just it, it just just needed tightening up. The bolts just needed tightening. And with that little tightening, this could have been a contender for something like The Town, Ben Affleck's own movie, which I think is fantastic. I, I couldn't quite put this in the same class, but then at the same time, it's not radically different. Widows as well, which came out last year, I'd say this is a cut from similar cloth to that. This doesn't quite have the amazing performances that are in that film from the likes of Elizabeth Debicki or... Daniel Kaluuya, who I thought was was phenomenal in Widows. But this is a good, solid action film with high production values, a couple of really outstanding sequences. Big recommendation. Well, relatively big recommendation. So that's Triple Frontier. Again, I'd probably go three and a half stars. My big recommendation of the week, though, I'm going to keep this one fairly short this week. I finally watched all of The Ballad of Buster Scruggs, which is a Coen Brothers movie that was made for Netflix. And I think it probably hasn't had the exposure that a Coen Brothers movie would normally get because of the release model. And I totally understand the release model because I don't know how you would sell this to a cinema audience because it's essentially six chapters of varying lengths. And as with any anthology movie, you get a mixed bag there. Some of them are better than others. I would quite happily say that none of them are bad. I think James Franco's chapter, which I believe is the second? is possibly the weakest but it still has plenty to recommend it these are all tales of the old west some of them quite funny all of them very dark and quite oblique and pessimistic all of them dealing with death in various ways um i think at least one person yeah one person at least dies in every single episode the standouts for me would be there's one featuring tom waits as a lone gold prospector looking for Mr. Pocket, the um, the vein of gold running through the mountain. That was just a perfect little short story, I thought. Tom Waits is great in it. And um, and it's one of the, the, the least depressing, <laughs> shall we say, of the six. The absolute standout 
is the one that I think follows that, which is the longest chapter, and I, I don't know what all of them are called, which features an actor who I've never seen before called Bill Heck, who is the lawman, I suppose. I don't know if he was a deputy or a sheriff. I missed that bit of information, but certainly knows his way around. And he's escorting a wagon train um, across the Oregon Trail. And there's a young lady whose brother dies on the trail. And this romance starts to develop between her and the man that she's looking to to protect her and her interests. This guy, uh, man, he's amazing. At different times, he reminded me of Gary Oldman. If if anyone was making a Red Dead Redemption movie, I'd cast him as Arthur Morgan in a second. He's got real presence, very, very handsome, um, but absolutely belongs in, in a Western film. And the relationship between him and Zoe Kazan's character was just really beautifully done. It's such gentle performances, no great grandstanding moments, beautiful writing, and... Um, and I, I I found that chapter wholly satisfying. It's almost get, tricks you into thinking, oh, this one will turn out all right. You know, obviously something has to go wrong, and and it does. There's a there's a brilliant sort of shootout sequence in the in that chapter as well. And then the final one was the most sort of perplexing, mainly because of how it rounds out the film. And I don't really want to spoil anything about it, but you've got Saul Rubinek. Oh, God. Uh, from Cagney and Lacey. Tyne Daly. That's it. Um, Brendan Gleeson and a couple of others in a coach heading through the night to uh, to a specific location. And Brendan Gleeson and the guy that he's traveling with are bounty hunters. And they're carrying a dead body as cargo on top of the coach. I think. This is the one that will leave the most people scratching their heads because of the way it ends. But then, in hindsight, there's no other chapter that could have ended this film. And certainly this is the one that most directly deals with death, um, even though it doesn't actually have an on-screen death in it. It's the one that made me want to go back and, and, and watch the film again. There's other actors scattered throughout. Tim Blake Nelson opens the film. He's great. Clancy Brown's in there. Uh, like I said, James Franco, Stephen Root, Liam Neeson. This this whole film is is chock full of great actors. The writing throughout is assassination of Jesse James good, lyrical. At times really witty, at times wordplay, at other times just 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 beautiful to listen to. The whole film is shot as you would expect from the filmmakers of No Country for Old Men, with a, a just an incredible eye for landscape and light. The pacing, especially in that Tom Waits episode, is so masterfully edited, allowing room to breathe, allowing scenes to play out at the appropriate pace to lull you into whether you know it could be a false sense of security or just to soak up the impact of something that's happening. I started this film when it first came out and I watched the first few chapters and I fell asleep, not because of the quality of the film, but um, because it had a late night the night before. And hadn't really felt the need to go back and, and realised this week that I hadn't finished it. I'm so glad that I did. I loved this. And I think it would, it's absolutely justifiable to say this is a particularly pessimistic film from the Coen brothers. There's none of the hope of raising Arizona here. It's also not as wacky as Burn After Reading, which is a very dark 
comedy, but an out-and-out comedy for the most part. This is a mixed bag, and I don't know that you could have made it any other way. I'm really glad that they did, though. I think it's got some of the, the finest stuff that the Coens have, have put on film in individual scenes. Overall, I'd say it's actually a more thoughtful film than um, a couple that they've made recently. I certainly think this is a better film than Hail Caesar, which is a film that I enjoyed a lot, but it is more serious. And there is, there's a real sense of the cruelty of life in the West, particularly in the Liam Neeson episode, which is just... Oh, it just makes you feel bad. It does, yeah. But all that said, a, a huge recommendation. I, I can't really go any less than five stars because the, the filmmaking is immaculate throughout. The casting is brilliant. The performances are great. And like I said, even the weaker episode still has a couple of incredible lines in it. Um, the James Franco one, the, the, the final scene of that has two wonderful lines in it and franco's very good in it as well so give the ballad of buster scruggs a chance on the understanding that it's not for the passive audience that's looking for you know action and things like that it, this is a a thoughtful ruminative film that will leave you with some ideas to chew on i think um on an artistic level if not on a philosophical level that's all I've got for you. Go and check those films out. So that's Behind the Curve, three and a half stars. Triple Frontier, three and a half stars. Ballad of Buster Scruggs, five. Maybe four and a half, but I'm going to be generous and say five because I'm in a good mood. Next week, it is our official 100th episode, and we have got a bumper for you. We have read all of your questions. We have answered most of them. If you missed out on sending any questions for the 100th episode, it is too late now. We've already recorded it. Send them in anyway to thearnithology at gmail.com and we'll read them on a later episode. We have had one piece of correspondence of late, which I'll, I'll share with you because it seems the right time. It's quite recent. This is from Richard Moll, who has not only written into us before, been following us pretty much since the start. He's been a guest on one of our episodes. He came on for Jack Reach and Never Go Back. Richard has this to say. Hi, Ben and Alex. Just wanted to say I'm really enjoying Forgotten Films. You can tell why I'm reading this out now. At close range was great, so glad your discussion encouraged me to watch it. I saw The Wraith for the first time a few months ago. I think I'm with Ben in that it's terrible, yet somehow enjoyable at the same time. Please don't stop making atrocious movie picks, Alex. It makes for a great discussion. I've found myself wanting to hang out with you more frequently than your current episodes allow. Is that a dig? I think that's a sly dig at how we've uh, missed a couple of release dates, but fair enough. Devoted fans, you are entitled to your opinion. So start downloading the Arnithology Original Series, or TAOS, as no one's calling it. I was worried that it might not be as good as your current work, but it totally holds up. That seems like a sly dig as well, saying we haven't matured. No, that's fair, actually. Uh, but it totally holds up and has got me excited about Arnie movies all over again. I think seeing the True Lies poster slash cutout being shot in Captain Marvel might have contributed to this too. I enjoyed that moment too, Richard. As always, I look forward to the next episode, Richard. Thanks, Richard. So that's the kind of exposure you'll get if you write to us, theanthology at gmail.com. Like I say, 1987 next week, we are doing two films as normal, but we're also going to break it up with just a lot more bants than usual. Join us for that, and until next time, I was going to say keep watching the films then, I can't say that, that's stolen from another podcast. Uh, until next time, I'll see you next time. Cheers! Cheers!